Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of How the Grades Do It. Super excited for our conversation today. You know you have me, your host, Tyler Yules. But our guest today, Chris Alto, he's the CEO and co-founder of Zipper. He's held multiple roles across go-to-market for the last 10 years. So super excited for our conversation. Chris, thanks for jumping on with us, man. Thanks, Tyler. Excited to, uh, to chat go-to-market. I love that, man. Well, <laughs> tell everyone what, what that kind of means to you. I know like you know, you are, you are elbow deep into Zipper and, and all that entails. So like, tell us what you're up to and we can kind of take the conversation from there. Yeah, so right now we're building an AI-powered growth platform for health, wellness, and fitness companies. Um, but I got started um, about eight or nine years ago um, at HubSpot as a BDR. So got to start out uh, in the trenches, learning yeah. how to effectively prospect, which was really cool. Uh, I was able to move from that role into an account executive. Uh, I was able to see some success there with a lot of amazing mentors from HubSpot. Um, I left that role after about two years and joined as a second employee at a sales tech startup out of New York um, that was venture backed. So that was a super interesting experience. My role was really around like trying to figure out growth. Um, I was 24 at the time and it was a, it was very interesting. Uh, learned a lot of things of what to do and what not to do with startups. Um and then after that, I joined as the second employee at a company called Vendor. Um, kind of a funny story around that. Essentially, what we did was we negotiated software contracts. And the founder, who was a, a fellow a friend at HubSpot, he sold me on the fact that we we're just building a consultancy as we super chill after grinding out in a startup in New York City for two years. And next thing I know, we got into Y Combinator. Um, Drew like crazy in Y Combinator, just three of us out working in an apartment out in uh, California. And next thing we know, the company raised 200 million. Right now it's 300 plus employees. So I was able to see um, from being the second employee, the company go through hyper growth, become a billion dollar company, raised from insane investors like obviously Y Combinator and Fidelity and Tiger Global and SoftBank. So that was really cool. Um, and I'm also passionate about early stage stuff, early stage startups. And so I've been taking a crack at that for about 18 months and it's been, uh, it's been a really cool experience. I love that. And so had, do you think a lot of like your passion for early stage has come from, you know, being a really early, you know, HubSpot wasn't um, HubSpot that we know uh, of today, right. From nine, nine years ago. Mm. And, I mean, they were a name, right. They were, they were definitely a player in the space, but they are not, what they weren't the number two CRM out there. $27 billion business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Like yeah, I think yeah. they, they, you know, they help put a space um, really in that. And as I think about all the salespeople out there, right? Like when you have to sell to salespeople, you got to be a little bit more polished than maybe some of your other um, roles out there. And so, you know, were there some things that you learned there at HubSpot that um, has really helped shape your methodology, if you will? Yeah. So I knew from, an early age, I guess early in college that I wanted to start something. And the reason I ended up at HubSpot was because uh, I started a sales club. I went to Boston College. I started a sales club there, uh, which was really cool. And um, through a lot of that process, I talked to a lot of successful entrepreneurs. And the one thing they all told me was like, if you want to be successful at building a business, you have to be successful at selling. 
because yeah. that's all it is. You got to sell investors, you got to sell employees, you got to sell your idea, you got to sell customers. You're just like, you're in a sales role as being, mm-hmm. being the CEO of a startup. So I was super fortunate to get an offer at HubSpot at the time. It was, uh, you know, they were on the up, they had just gone public. And uh, through that process, I mean, I learned, I learned so much because they were doing a lot of really interesting things around inbound marketing and around consultative selling and challenger selling. So I was able to learn how to, um, we used to do what's called an inbound marketing assessment. I think they still probably do it, but really like connecting with a customer, not just trying to sell them the product, but trying to educate them on the problem. And then from that, uh, being able to give them two solutions, one, which was really hard, they can do on their own or one, which was super easy, which was using HubSpot. So um, I've seen that that sales course option (laughs) two: use HubSpot and all this stuff is already built out for you. And it's super easy to customize. I'm going to go with option two. Yeah. So it made it, it made it easy because a lot of times things just like, yeah, you got to pitch a product, but um, they really took a step back and like, how can we be helpful? Like that's what it's all about. Like how can you help the customer? How can you give them resources? How can you essentially help them on their buying journey versus like pushing product down their throat? And so I used a lot of those skills that I developed from, you know, straight BDRing and cold calling and cold emailing um, through, you know, the other stars I've been a part of and definitely use a lot of those skills today. So it was, uh, it was really interesting. It was, it was a cool yeah. experience. I'm sure it was, right? Like were there, um, do you think that every salesperson should start as an SDR? You know, I think like so much is learned, especially as your first sales role um, or maybe your first role in tech. And so it's a little bit different, but it's also like a space to grow. And so I'd love to hear your experience there. And, and would you like direct somebody that wants to have that similar path of ownership and um, building as like, Hey, you got to start somewhere and where you start is where you're supposed to is. And that's SDR. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think there's a huge art to, to cold prospecting and, yeah, if you want to start a company, you have to be really good at that in terms of reaching out to potential early customers with a very half-baked product, reaching out to investors, to um, you know, getting in touch with potential people you want to hire. So yeah. I think being able to message effectively and get someone's attention through a cloud of noise is a really, really important skill. Um, in terms of starting as an SDR, I would recommend it personally because it really causes you to build a lot of grit um, at HubSpot. You know, I had a bunch of great mentors. One of my early mentors was uh, was my manager, Adam Zacks. Uh, and he paired me up with with an animal of a sales rep whose name was Evan Polinick. So shout out Adam and Evan. Um, but cool. but uh, Evan was, you know, he was one of the top reps of the company. And he really taught me how to prospect. And he explained early on in like one of the first couple of days that the difference between the P-Club reps and the reps that are on plan are, is really the ability to prospect. Like you can get lucky, you can get a bluebird here or there, but being mm-hmm. disciplined and being, um, you know, having a solid process in place of every day, I'm going to come in, I'm going to source X amount of leads and I reach out to Y amount of leads. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be very, very process orientated and disciplined with something that quite frankly sucks. Like no one likes cold calling, no one likes cold emailing, but that's what's going to differentiate you from uh, from the people who are struggling to the people who are super successful. So I think that 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 is something that is a huge skill set that people can develop. Yeah, I 100% agree. I will say one thing that I have to correct you on. There's one person you know now that likes cold calling. I'm that guy. 
I love it. Uh, maybe I love I'll move to hire you. That sounds great. <laughs> You're it. the first person I met. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, it's, uh, um, it's one of those things I, I call it a uh, two dog sniffing, right? It's like, they're trying to figure each other out. The first 10 seconds. Are you going to fight? Are you going to be friends? Are you going to play? I like I that. Two dog sniffing. That's great. Two dog sniffing, right? It's like, what are we doing? Are we fighting, right? You're going to be mad. You're going to hang up on me. You're going to leave. Are we going to have a conversation. You're going to be friendly today. Riley, how are you feeling today? What, where do you want to take this conversation? It's a beautiful how thing. You, how do you, so how do you think about that? Because a lot of people say that like, you know, you just want to go out and make as many calls as possible. Just find the people who want to buy and who are willing to talk to you versus other people like, nah, you got to be, you got to be really good and got to turn those no's into yeses. So how do you think about that when you're, when you're doing cold outreach? Yeah. So I think that there's people that are always going to be a no, right? So if yeah. I think about, my buckets, right? Like, can you turn no's to yeses? Absolutely. So I would say it like this. Let's say everyone I talk to, right? You have people that are If you're doing your research, right, and you're prospecting correctly, you're going to reach out to people that are maybe showing buying signs. Maybe they're in the market. You know that you can help them, right? And so you're reaching out to the right kind of prospect. 25% of those people will always be no, right? It's right. never yeah. going to be the right time. They're never going to give you the time of day. Those people, I would happily tell them to fuck off, right? Like, I'm not going to, if you tell me to fuck off once, I'm probably going to call you again. You have to tell me once or maybe three times, three times, <laughs> three times and I stop calling. It's the magic number. Yeah. Yeah. Three times and I'll, you know, give me, you overcome three objections. I'll let you off the phone. Right. But, and I'll call you three more, I'll call you two more times and you have to go three more times with me. So, you know, we're going in a cage fight. That's how I kind of like to think about it. But and this, right, those 25% that are always going to be a no, I'm not going to be able to convert those. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to convert the other 25% of they could have been a no, right? And that's why I make them go to three. You're not just going to get away with one objection and get off the phone because maybe that person was one of the 25% that I can convert. Now, there's mm -hmm. another 50% because you did your research. You're going off intent. You're going off of, you know, you're a good prospector. That other 50% is like, you just got to be good. You just got to be able to have a conversation, right? It's kind of like, you know, you, you walk up to your your wife or your girlfriend and you say, hey, where do we go out to eat? You don't just say, I want to go to Chipotle after you ask that question, right? And you're like, this is all the reasons I want it. This is the reason, all the reasons I want to have it and all the reasons that you, sh that you should want to go there too. Mm. It's like, no, we need to have a conversation. So I'm going to say, hey, Chris, where do you want to eat today? But you didn't want to eat. You're like, well, I'm not really hungry. Well, I was trying to pitch you Chipotle, but I didn't even have a conversation to understand you're not ready for food. <laughs> I love I feel, it. It's great. I think that's Great the analogy. It's like, let, when young reps start to start to call it, they're like, hey, I want a script. I want something to go off of. Like, I want to say, hey, I talk here and then I go here and then I go here. And I'm like, I just want you to have a conversation with people. Hmm. And if you have a seek to under, understand mentality, then it just turns into, it's not code call. I'm just, who am I going to have conversation with today? I just, at that point, it's a conversation, numbers of, of conversations. Hmm. And what's your best opening line when someone picks up and says, hey, Tyler, what's, you know, what's your go-to? Yeah. You, we can do it right now for the pod. Ring, ring. It's calling, Chris. Pick me up. Pick up the phone. Am I, am I, am I calling you or are you calling me? I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Ring, ring. Okay. Okay. All right. Got it. Hey, this is Chris. Hey, Chris, appreciate you taking the calls. It's Tyler.
Hi, Tyler. <laughs> hey, hey, Chris. I, I appreciate Um, That's it, right? Like, I appreciate taking the call. What are you going to say? Hi. F- fuck off. Hang up. But there really is no appropriate. Their only response is like, what do you want? But you see how it was right. quiet until you responded? I'm telling mm-hmm. your brain really early on in this conversation, we're going to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to talk. This isn't one of those robocalls where you're going to say hello and I'm not going to say hello back and it's going to be weird. I'm going to have mm-hmm. a conversation. So this, con- this is going to be a little different than what you're used to. Mm, cool. I like that. So then from there, they'll say, you know, hi, Tyler, do I know you? Or what What do you call what it you, about? What do you and want? Yeah. What do you want? And like, hey, man, I know I'm giving you a call out of the blue. Does that happen often? Or, or am I your first one of the day? I'm going to have a conversation. Right? If you come mm-hmm. off hostile, I'm going to be like, hey, man, are you, Chris, are you having a bad day? Should I give you a call back later on? You busy today? Be real. Right? Mm-hmm. If somebody's mad about something, I'm not going to close that person anyways. Right? So why right. would I pitch it? Right. They're in the 25. I, I'm moving. I'm moving too fast. They're not ready, right? Think about them as you an inbound. Married in the first date. Exactly. You're like, hey, <laughs> man, you didn't even ask me for dinner. You didn't even ask me out for lunch. What do you mean? You don't even know my name. You don't even know who I am. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's kind of my mentality around cold around cold call. You you got me on a tangent there. I like that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like you got it down. That's awesome. Well, I mean. People who can learn how to do that are going to be going to have so much success. And it's hard uh-huh. to do because it's hard getting hung up on and getting denied and telling, having people be mean to you, you know, but at the end uh, of the day, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I would ask you on the flip side of that, you know, you said it, it, it's hard to be hung up on you. Is it hard to dial the phone? It's not hard to dial the phone. Is it, it, it the hard? What's the hard part about it? I think where I struggle or where yeah. I have struggled and continue to struggle because I'm not, I'm not, you know, perfect at it. It's still something I'm continuing to improve on is like, when that person hangs up on you, you're like, ah, should I have said something else? You know, like, what did I, if I had said this and me, would that have gone better? You know? So it's kind of like that. And that comes down, you just got to make another dial. You know, yeah. You can't get- I'll tell you the same thing that I'll tell my, oh, my father-in-law every time I see him at Christmas and Thanksgiving, when he tells me that he shouldn't have sold Apple back in 2008 was we can what if all the way to the moon, right? Like, what mm. if, what if, what if, right? Like, the only way you're going to get better is smile and dial, right? I, I just got to have more conversations. <laughs> I love it. It makes a lot right? of sense. Like, if you have yeah. that mentality. I think it all flows. Like, I think you can probably think back to your SDR, your BDR or SDR days when you first started dialing, you're like, fuck, that sucks. But then when you get a good one, you're like, fuck, I'm ready to dial some more. Right. Right. So yeah. like I'm just trying to find the small wins when you think about that and keeping that mentality of like small wins. I'm just living off wins. Mm. I, if you if you told me, hey, I don't want you to call me again. I'm just putting you in the 25 percent bucket that I knew was going to say no anyways. Mm. It's like, cool. You're not my guy. I like that. The small wins. Yeah. And that's really important too to to focus on, because especially if you have like big, big quarterly quotas and it, it's hard to it's hard to focus on those small wins. And like, you know, I've, I've been doing triathlon for a little while and I never thought I'd be able to do that sort of thing, but I just focus on small wins. You know, I can't run a mile, so let's walk a mile. Okay, cool. Now let's run a mile. Now let's run 1.2 miles. Let's run 1.5 miles, you know? So it's like make small wins, make small improvements. And that's how you get really, really 
good at things versus like, oh, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an Ironman, whatever, yeah. or whatever. It's not a marathon, or I'm hey. not a, I'm not a CrossFitter. It's like don't focus so much on that. Just you know, enjoy the process. Find the small wins. Yeah, enjoy the process. Find the small wins, and maybe look at it the other way, right? Like maybe I'm, I'm not this right now, but I could be, right? And it's right. that work in progress. Like, how do you stay motivated though, right? Because like, you're saying like, hey, I can't run a mile, but then I'm like gonna walk it, but then I'm gonna run. Then I'm going to finally run a mile and then, but maybe it's at a 20 minute pace. Who knows? Right. Maybe a 15 minute pace. Then you get to two miles, right? Like for you, like, how do you keep that why strong and that motivation up? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think I had a bit of an epiphany a few years ago when, um, let's just use, so I I did an Ironman at Ironman Texas uh, last year Mm -hmm. and that was a big goal of mine. And if I look back three years ago, I'd be like, there's no, absolutely no way I can barely swim a lap. You know, I hate running, cycling, it hurts my butt. Like there's no way. Um, But what I realized is that my, my, my brain is in this, I can't sort of mindset. Um, And they call it the internal versus the external locus of control. It's like, I thought that that stuff was out of my control because I just already shut it off. Yeah. And so I had a bit of an epiphany where I said, well, what if I kind of flipped that on its head? I think I've listened to a podcast and someone mentioned this, but. What if I change it? I can't to how can I? And like, is it actually impossible or am I just believing it's impossible? And so that how can I thing would be, okay, well, how could I do an Ironman? Well, I can go find a coach who knows how to do it. I can talk to people who have done it and understand what they did or didn't do right. I can, um, I don't have to go out and run 26 miles or swim 2.4 miles. I can go out and, you know, do a one mile jog at a 15 minute pace, whatever. You just got to yeah. start. You know, and you got to build a plan and you got to figure out that unless it's physically impossible, like me running a four minute mile, that's physically impossible. My body's not made for it. I have a buddy out here in Boulder who just did it. And he's just like an amazing runner. His body's perfect yeah. for it. He's long strides. He's six two. Like he ran in college. I'm never going to do that. I physically can't. And that's okay. But, you know, there are some things that you can really figure out a strategic plan around, I think whether it be in athletics, whether it be in relationships, whether it be in work. Um, and what really helped me was flipping that narrative to I can't and to how can I and actually figuring out is this physically impossible or not? And a lot of times I figure out it's not. It's just you have some preconceived notions about that. No, I think that totally makes sense. And also makes sense why like startups are so appealing to you, right? Like you have to have that mentality, you have to have that muscle, continue to push mm-hmm. through and figure it out. And so you know, let's talk about that as like you go into early stage companies, like, do you have somewhat of like a blueprint that you are looking for and somewhat of a process that you follow when you're trying to figure things out? Because I think really early on, you're somewhat some sometimes trying to throw stuff against the wall to see what sticks. Mm-hmm. I think the first thing to do is to, to just go and talk to people who've done it. Um, what you'll find is if you want to get into sales or you want to get into marketing or you want to get into sales ops, or you want to get into starting a company, like go talk to people. And I've all, I was always nervous. Like, I don't want to annoy these people. Like they're busy. But when you start doing it, you realize that a lot of people are, are very altruistic. They really want to help you. They really want to, you know, to share their knowledge and, and help you achieve your goals. So that's yeah. the first step is like, find some people, reach out, be vulnerable, say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm currently, you know, doing a, a a waitressing job, but I really want to get into sales. Like, I see that you're a VP, and would you be open to chatting with me for five or ten minutes so I can ask you a couple of questions about like how to get in that things you'd do differently? Nine times out of ten, if that person sees that email, like they'll be 100% open to chatting. 
Um, uh, and if the ten percent that aren't like you don't want to talk to them anyway, they're not nice to you. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's a beautiful thing, right? It's like ten percent, like they didn't want to be good. But the thing that I love about that, before you even tell me what happened there, was transparency and vulnerability. It's like that's something that people can connect to immediately. All right, this is person's not trying to pull one over on me. This person like just asking for help, and it's like that yeah. true vulnerability and saying, "Hey, it's, there's vulnerability in it." But then there's also like, I. Hey, can you help? And you leave it for that person. And I think you're right. Like most people are, are happy to help and not totally. look for anything in return. Yep. Yeah. And go to those conversations. If they say yes, like have thoughtful questions. Like I have people reject my chat with them and they like, we just kind of sit yeah. there. And I'm like, so what do you want to talk about? They're like, I don't know. It's like, well, <laughs> do, a little, do a little research, you know, think about like, like look what that person's done. Ask a couple of thoughtful questions. Like you can tell a lot about a person by like the quality of their, of their questions. Right. So yeah. if somebody is, asked a really really good question then i'm gonna be like wow this person really thinks a lot and like really came prepared and you know is excited about the conversation so first off make the ask to people who you want to eventually get to their point and second off prepare you know be thoughtful um and always yeah. send a quick thank you note like that's such a huge thing that so few people do just takes two seconds send an email you know Hey Tyler, thanks so much for having me on. It was amazing. Like, let me know how else I can help you in the future. Yeah, that goes such a huge way because so few people do it. Um, yeah, you know, I think you're you're spot on there, right? And when it comes to the little things, are what progress the deals and um and what really create real relationships. Because you're right, like everyone doesn't do those things, and it's it's always the small things that either progress deals or push them back, or like you know the ones that you have better relationships with is. It's that little, it's those little touches, those little small um, things that you do along the process or throughout the relationship that really sets you apart from all the other people out there. So I love that. Once you go in and, and you're asking those questions, right, and trying to, I guess, more so have um, discovery, like, what do you do then to um, somewhat like put a framework in and process? Like, is there something that you found um, successful that you, you do more often than not? Um. It's a good question. I think the first piece is, yeah, just talk to people who have been there, figure out what works, what doesn't, what ask them, like, you know, what would you do differently if you're in my position? What are, you know, common pitfalls? Like get a good, get a good foundation. Um, And then from there, I put together plans and think about like, like running tests, tests. So like in college, I was a biology major. And so I obviously science is something I've always been very passionate about. And it's the same thing if you're, trying to be in a growth role at an early stage startup or even at a later stage company. It's just like put together a plan, have a hypothesis, understand, you know, what would make this successful, have some metrics that you can run against that are like hard numbers and black and white, like did this fail or did this not fail? Um, And then just go out and start doing it. And I think a lot of times, like if you're in a new role can be nerve wracking to actually go out and do it. It's like, well, I want the plan to be perfect. Get it to like 80% and go and just do it and nine times out of ten it's probably gonna be totally wrong like with startups i started off as as an endurance community and that was completely different from what we're, where we're at a year and a half later but i never would have yeah. known that if i didn't just go and do it and you know get it out there and get feedback yeah. from people so that would be my recommendation on that all of that you know it sounds like there was a few different pivots through that earth through that really early on part when, when you were starting Zipper. And so I'd love to hear like, um, how, how, 
um, how important is it for you to be able to transition and for, for plans to change and for you to be able to um, be like quick on your feet in that sense? Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest things with founding a company is just being flexible because you're going to find out that most of your hypotheses are wrong. So yeah. how can you do quick and dirty hypotheses and, and tests and see if they work, they don't work. If they work, then okay, how can we double down? But I think a mistake that I've definitely made is, okay, well, the product should be perfect. Like, let's get to this point. And then like people will use it if it's perfect. Let's wait another you know, two weeks. Let's fix these things. At the end of the day, it's just like, if there, there's a real problem there, then someone should be willing to use a half-baked product that solves a problem for them. They should be okay with the friction. And if they're not okay with the friction, that's a sign that you might not be onto something. So um, yeah, just be flexible, run tests, make them as quick and dirty as possible and just try to learn. And if you get an inkling of success, double down. Okay, now if that works, okay, double down again. So yeah, yeah, no, I love that. And I think it brings up a good point, right? Like, Hey, I think there's a lot of nice to have technologies out there right now. Um, and I think there's more and more coming to the market every day, but something that you brought up. And I think one of the biggest things that uh technology uh, platforms out here are missing is like, they don't solve a lot of times they're not figuring out the problems. They're trying to sell features and benefits, right? Mm-hmm. And what they should be selling is solutions. 100%. And ultimately, that's why our customers buy stuff, right? It's like it solves their problem. It makes it e- it makes it easier for them to do things. And so, makes their well, life what better. Yeah. Gonna, yeah, what we're going to see in the market is, a, you know, especially what we've seen from VC, right? Is like less amounts of of um, investment into that space. They want to see higher returns, and it's not the nice nice to have tools. I think are going to go away, right? We're going to have. The, the ones that need and the, the, the ones that solve problems. And those are the tools that are really going to stick it through and, and, and push through that. And so, you know, how do you make sure from a product side that you guys are trying to do that? And, um, and it's like, Hey, we may solve one major problem, but Hey, these are some other problems, some ancillary problems that we can also solve and collect revenue from. It's always the hard thing because you'll always have people say, Hey, if you had this, then I'd use it. Or, Hey, if you added this feature, then like we would hundred percent come on board. But then at the end of the day, it all for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it just comes down to sounds simple, but you just got to talk to talk to your customers and you got to just understand like what is what what my commenter says, a hair on fire problem that they have. Like what is something they need to solve right now? And they're willing to give you money for I think if you're in the super early stages of testing out an idea, if you can get somebody to give you, open their wallet and give you dollars, even if it's $5, okay, you know, you're onto something Yeah. versus, you know, oh, I have to make sure this is a thousand dollar a month product before I you know talk to people. Well, no, like someone literally is willing to give money out of their pocket to you to solve this problem. So now double down on that. Okay. Why, why is this helping you? How can this be better? Um, what other features would you want to see? And then from there, it's it's hard, but you just have to you kind of have to just use your gut and understand where should we be focusing our time and effort? What is ultimately going to drive more revenue? That's how we try to make a lot of our product decisions. Like if we add this, is this a nice to have feature or is this someone is willing to pay us more money for or come on board <laughs> who otherwise wouldn't have or not churn? So we try to focus on on those sorts of things. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting process. Yeah. What, what are some advice that you would give to, you know, other 
entrepreneurs out there that are looking to kind of make that same transition from, you know, maybe it was like early go to market to, you know, as a founder saying like, Hey, I've got an idea. I know a problem that needs to be solved. Like, Hey, what yeah, are some, so- what are maybe three skills or three char- characteristics they need to sharpen up, sharpen up on. Yeah. So I think that you need to focus on talking to customers. So even if you don't have a product yet, maybe you have a great idea, but you aren't technical. Like how can you validate that somebody wants this product or is willing to pay for it? So if that means talking to 25 people who would be an ideal customer and having them say, yes, if you solve this problem, I would pay you X, Y, Z, or maybe even getting a letter of intent in place. It's like, if we built these features, like, yes, we will sign on. Yeah. Because we've been going through fundraising right now. And one of the first questions people in venture capitalists and angels ask is like, what is traction? And so I used to think, you know, you have a great pitch deck, you have a great idea, like you're going to raise some money if you're a good team. Yes, it happens sometimes, but mm-hmm. most of the time they want to see that there's traction in some way, whether that be, it doesn't even have to be money. Maybe it's just like letters of intent. Maybe it's just, we ran, we, we built a landing page and we ran an Instagram ad and, you know, we had a hundred people sign up who are VPs of sales or whatever is yeah. a sales tech product. Like, just try to figure out how you can validate that there is a need um, by getting some people to take an action based off that problem. No, I love that. Um, after, after you do that, right. And you find that validation, like what are some of the things that they, what are some of the steps that they should take to like maybe sharpen some skills to say, Hey, these are some of the things that you're going to need to be able to be that founder um, that you're going to need to be. Like if somebody told you two, two or three years ago, like, Hey, you need to start shoving them on these skills so that you can be the guy you are now. I think one of the, the good things, if your background isn't go to marketer and sales and you want to be a founder is, is storytelling is super important. So yeah. a lot of times you're going to have a half big product. You're going to have an MVP and you're going to talk to investors trying to raise money. And for them, like they get it. You don't have, you don't have a ton of money. You don't have a dev team of 10 people, but they want yeah. to know like, what is the story? What could this become? What is the vision in five years? If this, comes if this comes to fruition and I were to give you money. So I think being able to tell that story of like how you came upon the idea and what the vision is and how the future will be better with your product. I think that's super important. And that's a sales skill, but um being able to translate that into into fundraising is is really, really important. Um no, I think some of the other things. Oh go ahead. I think that's spot on though, right? Like it's a hundred percent authenticity, right? They people want to understand, hey if I'm going to sign up with you, like what's, what's the future going to look like? Right. And and be able to paint that out to them. And they, everyone wants to be part of something big, right? We, we all, we all strive to be one, to be part of the community and growth. And right. If you can, if you can effectively communicate that in a way that gets someone excited, right? Like even more of a, one, you solve a problem two, they're excited about what you can be excited about. It's kind of like a match. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I think some of the other things to be thinking about is like um, market modeling. So understanding how big is this market, learning about top-down market sizing, bottoms-up market sizing, because that I have analytics on our pitch deck. And the number one thing that they spend the most time on venture capitalists is on the market slide. And they're looking at, okay, like how big could this market be? What's this, the total addressable market? How do they come up with these numbers? So that's really important. Is, is looking into how to how to market size appropriately and then being able to defend that in, in a conversation. 
Sure. Um, you know, I'd love to hear about how you take your mentality from customer to boardroom, because I think those conversations are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Right now, the board's just my founders because we haven't oh, raised yeah. any money. We bootstrapped the whole thing. Well, like, but... let's say like investors, then, right? Like, mm-hmm. when you're speaking with an investor, maybe a little different than speaking with a customer. And so, like, yeah, how do you wear totally. those different hats at different times? I think, again, it's a sales skill. You got to think about, like, what does this investor want? So, this investor yeah. wants to make a ton of money. If you're talking to venture capitalists, they want to return their fund. So, if they have a fund of $25 million, how can their investment that gets them 5% of your business ultimately make them $25 million? So how can you sell yeah. for a billion? They want to know what is that story to get to a billion dollars? Um, that's, I think that's the most important thing. And it's storytelling and it's being able to effectively articulate a vision of the future that you're trying to get to. And I was listening to a podcast um, with the venture capitalist who was talking about how you know, if, if a VC firm passes on you, they'll give you all sorts of reasons, you know, the market or, you know, the customer or whatever. Ultimately, it's the founder's inability to pitch the vision. It's the founder's inability to to make that venture capitalist see how their product's going to make the world better. Yeah. And so it's on you. Uh, so again, it's those sales skills. It's those storytelling skills. It's those, it's that ability to to pair the the qualitative and the future from like what it could look like with also the data and saying, okay, well, based upon these trends and based upon this market size, um, there's a huge opportunity for you. So I think, again, yeah. it's a sales skill, storytelling, what's in it for them and how can you articulate that effectively? No, that's super, that's super great. Um, man, this has been fun. And I think a ton of people are going to get a bunch out of it. Like, oh, after this podcast, like where can people connect with you? Um, where should people reach out to you if they want to connect? Yeah, uh, I'd say LinkedIn's probably best. Just shoot me a LinkedIn invite. Um, I'm always happy to help out if whatever, whatever way is possible. Um, you know, I've been there being early on in my career and look, yeah. asking for help and people have been super gracious and talking to me. So if there's anything I can do for folks, like please reach out. Um, yeah. And, and, and I'll add this for Chris, reach out with intent, right? Don't there reach out just having a conversation, right? Reach Be out a with cold intent. Call. <laughs> just kidding. Funny. well chris man this has been fun this is another episode of how the grades do it